I feel like my mentality that I've had has always kind of carried me through. Like I'm still going to do the best that I can do. I would say the only things I've really experienced are more subconscious like biases on maybe this guy is picked for just an example. Maybe this guy is picked for a presentation over me, even though we have the same like stats, but because he is a male. All right. Today, Heather Bodenhammer in the house. Heather is an account executive or a law enforcement account executive at Authenticate. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Heather, we're happy you're here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Heather, good seeing you again. It's great to see you. It's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a little while. It wasn't that long, but it's been a little while. I was checking before, almost three and a half years, I think, give or take, when you left us. After a short amount of time, but let's get into it. I was looking for some feedback on the podcast, and one of the things I need to do is get going more quickly when we have guests on. (laughs) (laughs) So let's not dilly-dally, all right? No pussyfooting around. Let's let the audience get to know you a little bit, all right? So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you're from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. I left when I was 18 for college. I got recruited to play soccer in Arkansas. So I was about four hours away from my hometown. Did not like Arkansas at all. So after one year there, I was like, I need to go to a bigger city. I need to get out. And I came to D.C. You played in soccer. How early? When did you start? So I started in second grade. I hated it. But my mom wouldn't let me quit. (laughs) So I was like, it's too much running for a second grader. So I played softball. I played basketball. I played Mighty Mites football. And continued just, I always loved sports. And it actually wasn't until high school that I became very serious about soccer. My freshman year, I fell in love with it and couldn't get away from it. And that led you or brought you to D.C. eventually, right? Yeah. I took a year off of school when I came out here. Okay. And I was just saving up money. Mm-hmm. I was a living nanny in D.C. and was trying to figure out where I was going to go to school after that. And then I ended up going to Montgomery College yep. and played soccer there for two years, won the national championship, got a pretty good education for you. It's good value there. And then that's when I ended up at Marymount in Arlington, Virginia. Okay. And what'd you major when you were there? Health science. Oh, playing soccer, majoring in health science. And what'd you think you're going to do when you got out of school? I thought I was going to be a physical therapist. And it took me six years to complete undergrad because I was transferring so much because mm-hmm. soccer was the only thing I cared about. Didn't really care about my education at that point. And yeah, so by that point, I was like, I've already done six years of undergrad. There's no way I can do three more years of physical therapy school. So when you graduated from school, what were you doing? When I graduated from school, I went to Italy and I was coaching soccer in Milan. Let's talk about that. That's an interesting story and maybe connect the dots between soccer and sales. Okay. So, well, I got recruited to play professionally in Switzerland, the only region in Switzerland 
that speaks Italian, which is how I ended up in Italy after. It was an amazing experience. It was everything I ever wanted. And but I had left school to go play. So I knew at a certain point, there's not a lot of money in women's soccer. And I was just like, if I don't go back to the United States, I'm not going to graduate from college. And that was something that at that point, I put so much time in. I was like, I do need to focus on my education at some point. So I came back to the US. I took like seven classes one semester, eight classes another to just like graduate within that year, then left, went to Italy Still not a lot of money in the situation and no stability. I was like living out of a duffel bag for all of these years. And so I was like, okay, I need to go back and try to build stability for myself and make some money. Came back with literally like zero dollars in my pocket. (laughs) And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So at that point, I had a health science degree. I was working at a physical therapy clinic for like 12 bucks an hour, getting paid every two weeks. I was like, okay, I can't do anything with this. I was like staying with friends at that point. So I started bartending at local bar, Blackfin. And that's actually where someone was like, hey, you should check out Memory Blue. Because I was like, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life at that point. Wow. Okay. So physical therapy school was out. Yeah. Between the debt, it would have accumulated and the time. I was like, I need to make money now. Got it. So you're bartending and heard about Memory Blue. Yeah. How'd you hear about it? Was it just a customer or one of your coworkers? It was one of my coworkers who had grown up here and he just offhandedly mentioned it. And I went home and started searching and I was like, hmm, tech sales. Maybe that's for me. My dad, my grandpa, my great grandpa, they were all like real estate cars salesmen. So what do you remember? Did you come in for an interview? Yeah, I submitted my stuff online or like my resume and everything. And then I think I had like two phone interviews before actually coming in. And then I had the two interviews in person and then the like mock cold call. I remember that. All right. Who'd you interview with? Do you remember any of that? I don't at this point. I think Joey was a part of it. Joey Plush. Joey Plush. Okay. Yeah. Joey Plush is out in Denver now. Yeah. Run a Denver office. (laughs) So you joined and tell us about that. Yeah. So I still remember my first day being scared shitless about making a cold call, like sweating, heart beating out of my chest. But after that, you're making 100 calls a day. You get used to it very quickly. That's, I think, an important thing to focus on for a minute. So you were scared about making a phone call. Meanwhile, you picked up, left your life in Missouri, came to D.C., then picked up your life and moved to Switzerland, too, where they spoke Italian, which you didn't know how to speak at the time. And then you moved to Italy. So you've done all these crazy things that I would think would be much more scary than making a phone call, yet the phone call was terrifying to you. So how'd you get past that? Yeah, so you just do it. And then I think being in the environment that you guys set where everyone is making their cold calls at the same time, it allows you to get past that initial threshold. And then the camaraderie and everything, and you're recording your calls, you're being coached on it. And then you start to know how to do it. And that fear subsides. Did you know what you'd be doing when you got there? Sometimes people say, I wasn't really sure what I'd be doing. I got there. It was pretty apparent to you that, hey, I'm going to be making work on the phones. Yeah, it was pretty clear. Just that, the training environment that I was going to learn a new skill, Mm -hmm. a new vertical. And you weren't with us that long. Let's talk about it. Do you remember who you started with? Yeah. So I started with Cladera, Big Data Advanced Analytics, and it was actually their federal team who their office was also right here in Tyson's. Mm -hmm. So all of that or like my career, the way it's it's panned out being federal is kind of down to luck. Getting Cladera as my first client, honestly. We have people all the time that get on federal clients and they squander it or they're not interested in it. So you took it and ran with it. So that was you, not luck. 
I would argue. Clients always want to kick these campaigns really quickly. And I remember Cloudera, and that was a really important client to us because they did it all in Austin. And the person who was ultimately in charge of it is well known in the industry. And this was an opportunity for us to get in. They had not outsourced it, to my knowledge, ever. Because remember, we'll talk about it. They have a lot of really smart people who work there, a lot of tools. But they needed some help on the federal side. So the clients said, well, can't we go? I said, well, we just don't put anybody, any Tom, Dick, or Harry on these campaigns or Jane, right? We have to put people who are we think are intelligent, articulate, aggressive, go-getters, so it's not lucky that you ended up that we hired you and you ended up there and you did well. I mean, maybe the universe was working in your favor and you ended up working for us and working on that campaign. But we did just haphazardly say, hey, we'll just put Heather on this thing. Right. I guarantee that because I remember you and I went over there to kick it off and plush, I think. And I was involved in it and I was involved with everyone back then. And that's high profile campaign. So it was you were fortunate to be put on it, but it was definitely wasn't luck. Let's pause maybe for a second. So you're an athlete your entire life, right? And how have you applied being an athlete to maybe the job at Memory Blue, but even to your job now? And then we'll come back and talk about Memory Blue a little bit more because I don't want to leave the soccer thing so far behind. Yeah. So I think any athlete can attest to you have to do a lot of stuff that you don't want to do, right? You have to wake up early. You have to run. Like It hurts most of the time. But having that mindset of discipline, like I had to be disciplined in everything that I was doing, obviously that is going to spill over into whatever you do outside of that. I mean, if you carry it on, I think for me, someone that's played their whole life, it's like very ingrained into who I am. Like I don't know anything outside of that. Almost to the point where it's annoying. Like it's very hard for me to chill, to relax. I cannot watch TV shows because I can't sit still long enough. Like (laughs) I'm always going still. So it's almost to a fault, but obviously there's a lot of positives that come from being super disciplined because you can set a high goal and then you can literally chunk it down to, okay, daily, this is what I have to do to get there. Yeah. And how did that relate to being at Memory Blue in the early days of your sales career? Yeah. Especially having Claudera and Federal, two things I didn't know anything about. I was just constantly like trying to find a way doing the work regardless. And I think that's what Claudera saw and why they hired me out so quickly is because I just constantly was trying new things or I was just putting in the work. And even if you're not that talented early in your career, but you're putting in the work, people are going to recognize that. And eventually that's going to produce results. Absolutely. And you were telling us about discipline. You said discipline creates freedom. Is that what you equated it to? Discipline equals freedom. That's been my big thing lately. Tell me what what that means to you. I think it means simple as setting your alarm clock in the morning and waking up at that exact time every morning. If there's ever a morning that say I don't wake up, well, I have an alarm that makes you wake up. You have to play brain games and like take a picture in another room. Yeah, because my morning routine was messed up for a while. I couldn't get that side down and I'd be so angry with myself. Like there's so much I need to do in the morning. But if you have that discipline with yourself, you have a big goal it's like you're doing the work right like you may have an off day you're sore you don't want to do it you don't want to wake up but you're still doing that and that is a form of self-love to an extent and then that creates the freedom that you desire because if you can't make yourself do these things then you're going to be frustrated with yourself you're not going to accomplish what you want to accomplish so I think discipline is one of the most important like skills to have in life and I have it tattooed on my foot you do on your instep on the inside nice. of my foot that was my first tattoo at 19 yeah so lots of people talk about discipline you live it and you bleed it <laughs> literally <laughs> but it's funny if you ask my mom or my parents i was always that weird kid that was had the 
ball at the park until dark or I was reading or writing. Like I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, but it wasn't like I wanted them. It was because I was so focused on what I was doing that I was like, friends, I can't be bothered. I love the single minded focus. (laughs) I love it. So you were at Memory Blue. Did you have any friends at Memory Blue when you started? No, I was there for five months. Yeah. I mean, I definitely saw people in the network, but I didn't. At that point, I think I was still very like single focused. Okay. Getting your job done. Okay. So do you take us through your at Memory Blue, learning the federal market, learning being on the phones, research, those sorts of things. If you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself like the night before you started? Don't be so nervous about the cold call. (laughs) You're going to get used to it. It's going to be nothing. Other than that, I look back at who I was then, I mean, four years ago, and I just appreciate that drive that carried me through. I don't know that there's much other advice. No, it's good. Just work, sounds like. Just go and do your thing. So you were on Cloudera. Were you on another client as well? Yeah, I did have Pierce Matrix for a little bit. Was that federal or commercial? No, it was commercial. It was cybersecurity. I think they ended up getting bought out by someone else. It was such a niche like mm-hmm. product at that time. It was hard to sell, honestly. But eventually, I think they ended up just going with one person who was Wilson. I don't know yeah, if you guys yeah, remember yes. Wilson. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So he was primarily working with them. And that's when, because he and I were both on Cloudera. So we kind of switched. So he took Pierce Matrix full time and I took Cloudera full time. That's right. And how did the transition occur? So you were doing a good job. Do you remember anything that Cloudera said, hey, why don't you come join us? I remember a moment where I had been doing a bunch of research and I found a PowerPoint presentation on like advanced analytics mm-hmm. for NOAA, which is National Ocean. Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Mm-hmm. You say so. There you go. You're in Fed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I found a presentation with a name on it that was leading this advanced analytics goal or yeah, something initiative for the initiative. Goal. There we yeah. go. And I reached out to him and got a meeting with him. And I think Claudera was just so like blown away with that. They're like, what? You did this? And then I think from there, they were like, okay. Wow. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So six months in, you're working for a leading emerging technology company. I don't know if they had gone public by that point or then, but that was a great company to work for. They just IPO'd like the month before I came on. Yeah. It was good timing. So then you joined their team. And what was that like, that transition? So you went from working for Memory Blue, which is a relatively small consulting company in an interesting office in Fairfax, Virginia, right? And then just down the road, you sort of worked for Cloudera, 100% federal. All federal all day, all night. Nothing since then, right? Right. Nothing since then. Okay. I don't know anything else at this okay. point. <laughs> but that's, that's, I think that's an advantage. So what was it like going to work for them? Honestly, I mean, they had been my client at that point the whole time. So the only difference, I think, was reporting to that office, going through their training process, because at that point, it was just Memory Blues training. But... I think it was really beneficial to start with a big corporation because they had a lot of processes in place for an SDR specifically, even though all their SDRs were in Austin. So I was just kind of in this empty office with my coworker, Rob Gem, and it was just the two of us every day, like dialing. But at that point, I had a little bit more flexibility to try out like email campaigns. I ended up having a lot of success with that as well because we didn't have the metrics of 100 dials a day. So yeah, I mean, the transition was fairly easy and I feel like it just allowed me to further increase my skills on the phones and via email and in federal. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to break into federal? I would say 
just start studying, studying the agencies, studying sub agencies, just starting to know like what is HQ, what comes down. From there, you start to grasp and get the acronyms because that's the biggest thing. Like we throw around acronyms all day. Like sometimes I don't even remember the real name of the agency and just like know it as an acronym. But I would say if you want to break into Fed, start there so that when you go to a company, it's like you at least know what they're talking about. And there's a wealth of information online, just simple Google searches. I mean, you can find people, agencies, cybersecurity plans for the years. Just talk to other people who have been in the industry as well so they can give you more details on like exactly what we're doing here, like my story, how I got started. So, but like when you were at Memory Blue, Joey Plash or no one said, Heather, this is how Fed sales works. No one taught you that. So how did you learn? You just, you taught yourself essentially, right? Yeah. Tons of research, just <laughs> endless research on Google and reading through documents and figuring it out from there. So just having a curiosity towards it and reading it and one thing will lead to another. And then that's kind of how you learned. Yeah, absolutely. And time definitely plays a role. Now I'm four years in and it's hard to really pinpoint, oh, I did X, Y, Z, because you just accumulate that information. But I think once I got to, well, we're not quite there yet, but once I got to authenticate a small startup, then all of my knowledge really came into place. But I also picked up so much because they didn't have those processes in place. And I was the first SDR over there. So it was a lot more figuring everything out and how is this going to work and making mistakes. You have to make mistakes. I mean, the amount of times I've like reached out to someone and someone else is working with them and it's like, you're going to step on some toes, but that's going to happen. So let's talk about that. So you're at Cloudera, right? Mm -hmm. So you were with us. Essentially, you worked for Cloudera the entire time. That's the way I look at it. Because you worked for us, right? But you were on Cloudera. And then you worked for Cloudera for a little while. And then you decided to go kind of spread your wings a little bit more. How did that happen and why? And then talk to us about that. Yeah. So when I was at Cloudera, I mentioned it was kind of just in an empty office with my coworker. All the other SDRs were in Austin. There wasn't a lot of flexibility. You know, it was like come in at 8 a.m., leave at a certain time, no working from home. And that starts to wear on you you know, especially as an SDR. And even at Memory Blue, we had a lot of flexibility in the middle of the day outside of like call blocks Mm -hmm. at that time. Still do. Maybe too much flexibility, but you know, (laughs) that's story for another day. (laughs) No, it was great. I love that. I was kind of used to that at Memory Blue. And then when I transitioned, just that rigid schedule was really hard to keep up with because I was at Cloudera only for another six months. Mm -hmm. But at that point, you know, I had accumulated the skills and I was like, okay, what else is out there? And my coworker, Rob, as well, we were kind of always talking about it. Like maybe we wanted to go to a technical role. Did I really want to become an AE? What does that process look like? And then through a family friend who he actually grew up in Missouri as well, he reached out to me. He was like, hey, I'm like working in the D.C. area now. Are you still here? And turns out he was working at Recorded Future right across the street from Cloudera. Yeah, small world. I hadn't seen the guy in 20 some years. This is like elementary school. And a bunch of the guys from Recorded Future went over to start Authenticate. So he's like, hey, through the grapevine, I heard of Authenticate. You should probably hit them up and see what's going on. And you did. And so you went from a publicly traded company in cyber 
And Cloudera was not, not really a cyber firm. So talk about that transition. And now before we get, get to that, let's talk about something yesterday we were talking how, I don't think it comes across that way, but you considered yourself a shy person until you got the memory oh, yeah. blue. Just, just fill us in on that because I don't think anyone listening would, would pick up on that. This is funny because I was talking to my mom yesterday and I was like, remember how shy of a kid I was? So I used to have to ask my little sister to like ask people for water or food or anything, right? I, I didn't like, didn't want to talk to people at all. I was very quiet, very shy. Also ties into the like individual, like I didn't really want friends at that point. So it wasn't until memory blew that I think being forced to make the cold calls, being forced like out of my comfort zone because soccer was, although hard, that was my comfort zone. And you're not talking to a lot of people in soccer. (laughs) Like You're just playing. So after that, I just started to notice my personality in everyday life outside of work. I was better able to articulate myself or be a little bit more assertive whenever I needed to be. And that has just skyrocketed. And yeah, anytime I tell someone, I'm like, yeah, I used to be really shy even into my mid-20s. They're like, there's no way. There's no way that was you. But my mom can attest, yeah. That's all attributed to getting on the phones. Yes, Not I would all, say so. partially. Phones and sales in general. Sales in general. Okay. Good. I'm glad we hit that. All right. So you wouldn't authenticate startup from a publicly traded company. And it sounds like, what, did you go into an office with people? I mean, meaning at Cloudera, you're kind of a remote office. Right. So the funny thing is I turned down the first offer from Authenticate because I was scared because they were like just creating their DC office. I had a lot of things in place at Claudera that was very set. And I was like, okay, I don't know if this is for me. The way it was, there was a lot of uncertainty, right? So I turned down the first offer. My coworker, Rob, went over to Authenticate. He was there for maybe two, three months. And he's like, Heather, it's incredible. You have to come over. So then he told them, give her another shot. So they ended up start talking again and they're like, okay, do you want to come over? I'm like, yes, I made the leap at that point. So I was scared. And because we talked about this, Cloudera is a great company, right? You said they had all sorts of resources. They had training. I mean, you were kind of in a satellite office, so to speak, but that's not an easy company to bounce from. No. Well, and I think the thing too with Cloudera being so big is that like all the account executives were so much older. They had so many years in the industry. And the way I saw it was, how am I going to move up here? I didn't see a path there. I'm talking older men in the office or they were veterans at one point, like lots of experience. So I transitioned to Authenticate. It was definitely taking that leap. But I was like, there's going to be a lot of growth here. And I kind of needed that next step to get out of my comfort zone. And let's talk about that because you hinted at it earlier. You weren't entirely sure because now you're in sales, but you weren't even sure what you wanted to do. You were kind of like vacillating. Like, let's talk about that. And we'll talk about getting into Authenticate. The idea of being an account executive was never something that resonated with me. It was like, this seems like so much stress, so much work. Why would I want to do that? But what's my alternative? I'm kind of like digging my hole in this Mm -hmm. world here. Like, what am I going to do? So I obviously continued being an SDR at Authenticate, but was potential to take a more technical route. So I thought that's what I wanted to do. I'm like, less cold calling, less prospecting. I'm just the technical person on the call. Like in in my mind, that was the easier route to take. Or maybe it's the one you felt more comfortable with, right? Not necessarily easy. Some people would be horrified at having to learn more about technology. Okay. So that was kind of on the path. Yeah. So that was where I thought I wanted to go. 
And I ended up doing Authenticate. I ended up doing six months of solutions engineering training. So I learned the product inside and out, which was really awesome that they allowed me to do that while still being an SDR. It was just like I had side projects or side meetings and demos that I was pulled into. And they ended up restructuring the way that the solutions engineers team worked. So there ended up not being a spot for me. So after that, I was back to, okay, what am I going to do? My manager, who was a really good friend of mine, was like, even she was like, I don't think you would like the account executive role. Maybe you should go into management. So that's when I became the SDR team lead because I had that. She's like, you're natural leader. You're like good at teaching people, etc. You coach soccer in Italy, right? You've coached before. So it was an, a natural evolution for you. Yeah. Well, I coached and I was also the captain of my high school and college soccer team. So it was natural to me to it still is to be in this leadership-esque role without even trying. It just kind of happens that way. But I was not convinced. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to hold hands. At that point, it was still like, I don't know how good I am with people because I still have that kind of lone wolf mentality of just let me go do my thing. How can I like bring people with me? So what changed? So this is January of this year. So January 2020, I had reached a, another point with Authenticate. I'd been there two years and some months. And I was like, again, what's next, right? Do I want to wait out and see if a manager role opens up? Again, there wasn't really a lot of avenues being a smaller company. We were growing quickly, but it was still, they wanted experienced people as an account executive mm -hmm. because they needed that. Take uh, some time sometimes. It takes time. In my mind, and maybe some other people who have been SDRs, it's like we're told, oh, you're only in this role for a year, maybe two. At this point, it had been three years for me that I was an SDR. And I was like, there was a little burnout for sure. Of course. Yeah, especially yeah. doing it in Fed. But this is a good story. And before we go back real quick, is you were also smart enough to take a job at a company that allowed you to do something else, quote unquote, as a side project. Mm -hmm. So you were there. And we tell people this, or I tell people this, is you still have to use those SDR skills to get into an opportunity to do something. Like you kind of sound like you bartered. I don't know what you did, but you did something where you put yourself in a position to go get this technical training while you were doing the SDR work. And that's yeah. like a great avenue, a great way to go is use your skills set that you already possess to get kind of what you want. So that was a real good strategic move on your part. Yeah. Well, I'm absolutely grateful to the company for how they're structured and how they care about us growing. I also will say my numbers were great. <laughs> So at that point, I had some leeway, I would think. If I was failing at my numbers, I'm pretty sure they would have been like, no, you need to focus on hitting your numbers. But the fact that I had found a good groove and a good flow, I think they were like, okay, we trust that you can take on this side project and not dip in your numbers. And that's what happened. You indicated that we were, Chris and I were talking to you about how you start doubling your numbers or mm -hmm. how did that happen? I think it was a year in at Authenticate and something clicked for me, something about maybe the product knowledge knowledge or just the skills I had accumulated in the industry. And I found another avenue to prospect through LinkedIn. And my numbers just skyrocketed at that point. I started doubling my quota. And yeah, it was really good for everyone. Well, you develop fluency, not only in the federal sales, that whole industry and how that works, but then also the solution that you were selling. Your side project was becoming a solutions engineer where you understand the technology. That gives you so much credibility with the people that you're prospecting into that they 
they say, obviously, Heather knows what she's talking about. I'm going to continue this conversation. I get calls all the time from people who you know they don't know what they're talking about, and that's a very short call versus if you can show that you do know what you're talking about, you're going to have credibility, and with credibility, you're going to have success. Yeah. And I think there is a fine line between knowing so much about the product and then like still kind of playing like I'm not the expert here when you're talking to these people. And that's something I had to learn too. you go in, you word vomit and you're like, oh, I know all this cool stuff about my product. You know, you have to have it. But I think that's part of sales training in general and just maturing in the industry. But it does help in terms of even a subconscious confidence of, hey, I know the product in and out. Any question you can ask me if it's really in in my wheelhouse to answer, I can. Otherwise, I can play the dummy and be like, oh, let me get you on a call, you know? So I think that confidence definitely did play in of... I knew the product. I knew I knew what I was talking about. And the use cases were so solid for Fed that it literally comes down to just maybe they don't have budget at that point. So when you have all that kind of good combination, it's really easy to go in with conviction and be like, you need to see this. Taking an individual's raw potential and turning them into a thriving sales professional takes the right training. That's where Memory Blue Academy comes in. Memory Blue Academy teaches participants the fundamentals of sales development and all aspects of a lead generation role, regardless of the level of professional experience or background. The course kicks off with a two-day intensive boot camp session, followed by a six-week ongoing educational program. This is the program every single Memory Blue SDR undergoes at the onset of their tenure. The curriculum covers a wide range of topics, including list building, objection handling, effective sales emails, and more. Participants will be shown how to successfully execute a diverse set of sales activities in a very short time, experiencing tangible and lasting skill growth. To learn more and sign up for a seat in an upcoming session, head to memoryblue.com academy. It's interesting, right? Because we talk about how people want to get in the SCR role and they want to get out, but you were able to, you being in it for a little while really helped you, especially when we get to what you're doing now. Had you not committed to it for as long, maybe you wouldn't be where you are now. Because I see some people who parachute out of the SCR world too early and they're not prepared for the next thing. And then they wash out and it's like cutting your nose off to spite your face a little bit. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Yeah. So I was in SCR for four years. I just transitioned into a closing role in September. So if you would have told me back then it was going to take me four years, that would have been a hard pill to swallow. But like you said, I'm glad it worked out that way because I have so many more skills that I can apply to this role. And when you're in an AE role, you don't stop being an SDR. Some do. (laughs) No, seriously, what do you mean by that? What do you mean I don't stop being an SDR? I mean, you can if you want to be lazy, but at the end of the day, I'm prospecting just as hard as my SDR is prospecting because I want more in my pipeline. I want to source more deals. If I'm just sitting on my hands waiting for these meetings to be passed to me, like it's not a good look for my business and my pipeline and what I'm trying to control. Like I don't want it in anyone else's hands, basically. It's a bad look. (laughs) It is a bad look. (laughs) Yeah. We'll come back to your journey, but I mean, where you are now, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but you're working for an amazing company. You started by some really smart people, backed by some really smart people with some smart ass customers in the federal and space and cyber. I mean, people would argue that cyber, Uncle Sam is ahead of the game in many aspects. So you don't don't gain fluency overnight. It takes some time. So this is a testament to what you've been doing the past four years. So hats off to you. So Vanessa tried to talk you into being a team lead. 
and she did successfully, right? So let's go back to that. What was that like? Yeah. So Vanessa, still my manager now, she actually recently took over full sales is no longer the SDR manager. She talked me into the role. I was already doing a lot of the stuff like writing email campaigns for everyone, doing trainings on certain prospecting techniques, etc. So it really came down to a little bit more responsibility on my plate and Vanessa and our commercial SDR is set in Indianapolis. So I really kind of started the gap between marketing and her team in Indianapolis and then federal and my team. I had two other people under me that were federal SDRs. So a lot of extra meetings, I guess, more writing campaigns and just holding people accountable to hitting their numbers at that point. What'd you learn about yourself? doing that. That's difficult. That's like the biggest challenge that anyone has as a manager, but particularly when you've gone from being kind of a peer to someone so young in your career, they're like, now you have to hold them kind of accountable. And yes, you have a boss, but still you're the team lead. There's some expectations, right? Yeah. One of the guys on my team, he always did very well. He's older than me, like mid thirties, I think. So it was kind of, I was in a position then of being his team lead. Another one of the girls on my team was fresh out of college. So there was a big gap there. So definitely managing, okay, I've been your peer all this time. Now I'm in a little bit more of an authority position how do I say what I need to say or what's coming down from Vanessa without sounding like, oh, I'm better than you now or this or that. So, but they were awesome. I mean, the company as a whole, we're all so close. Like the people I work with are my best friends in real life. And even Vanessa, like I can go to her with anything day or night and she gives me life advice all the time. So I think they were really great about it. There was no real like animosity or oddness. They would start asking me like, oh, can I do this or that. And I'd be like, that's way outside of me. Go to Vanessa, you know, stuff like that. But I know you had asked what I learned about myself. I feel like I do appreciate being a leader and I like helping others. What is sometimes hard for me to convey is what I know and how I do things to someone else. And I can say it in a way that logically makes sense to me, like, oh, I did X, Y, Z, but then the other person goes and does X, Y, Z, and they're not getting the same results. So there's obviously something missing there that I'm like still to this day struggle to convey because it's just kind of like up in my brain. And there's like for the longest time now, I'm like, I wish I could just grab someone's hand and like give them all the information in my brain or just like show them what I know. So I don't know. I think that's probably a skill to be learned, how to teach someone what you're doing. I'm sure you did more than you thought because you, you learned, obviously, I'm going to think you were well trained if you worked at Memory Blue and then learned on your own at Memory Blue, but also on your own and at Cloudera. So you're taking folks and some people are just going to learn by observation, by watching you do what you do and then whatever, maybe you're being too hard on yourself. But my guess is you taught them a lot. You learn from them as well. But the, the reason why you put in that role, like the coach, got great experience and you've got a strong game because if you didn't get a strong game, you would be doubling your number like when you kind of mastered it. Yeah. Well, and even now... Now that I'm in a closing role and I'm passing myself my own meetings, I'm like, man, it would be so easy to still be an SDR because it gets to a point where it's just second nature and you're obviously not getting paid on the meetings you're passing to yourself, only closing meetings. So I do think about that all the time. But now when I'm working with the SDRs currently, I tell them that I'm like, yo, milk this for all you can, because I don't know a lot of other places, but as an SDR, I was never capped on commission. So I'm just shelling out meetings, obviously making sure they're good quality. But at that point, it's you and you. How much work are you going to put in? 
And closing is a lot more difficult than just sourcing the meeting. We should talk about that. Chris, right? What are your thoughts on the people who think the, you know? Well, most of the people who think that sourcing is harder than closing are sourcers, are SDRs. But then once the SDR moves to a point where they need to run the whole thing, like Mark and I used to talk about all the time of like, I can get this guy to show up for a meeting. There's no way in hell we can close them, but I can definitely get through curiosity or whatever, get this person for a meeting. Versus now that you're on the AE side, it's like, all right, well, that's great that we're running this discovery call, but definitely the SDR who teed it up was just trying to get the meeting. Have you seen that? Uh, I have seen it, but at the same time, I'm at a point where I'm just building my pipe that I'm like, yeah. just give it to me yeah, definitely. at this point. Obviously, when my schedule becomes a little bit more busy, then I'll, I'll be more picky. And I've definitely done that before in the past. I mean, yeah. come on. And I was so close with my AEs that there were literally some that after the fact, I'd be like, I'm so sorry I passed you that <laughs> meeting. <laughs> like, I didn't know it was quite going to go like that because you have numbers to hit too. Yeah. And plus, you don't know. You never know what's going to happen. And so I would always, as an AE, I would rather have more discovery calls than less discovery calls because you never know what you can uncover. Absolutely. Like I said, at this point, I'm just like pack my calendar. That's Mm -hmm. all (laughs) I want at this point. All right. Well, here. Well, so, all right. So you were at Authenticate, but maybe as you were kind of learning and continuing your career development, what kind of keep going with that, your journey. Yeah. So I kind of got sidetracked, but so January, 2020 this year, I kind of hit another wall where I wasn't sure where I was going to go. The engineering thing was off the table. There was no real route to being an AE. And I was actually headhunted for another company, another Silicon Valley company that wanted to start a federal team. Mm -hmm. So it looked all bright and shiny. I was like, oh, well, I came in to authenticate and it was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. And we started the federal team. Let's do it again. again. I'm like, all this green space, it's going to be awesome. And I'm thinking, you know, a ton of money and everything like that. Sometimes you take a leap and you fail and that's okay. So that was definitely one of those experiences for me. When it comes to federal, there are very specific things you need to do to make a successful sales organization. And it really seemed like this organization just hired two salespeople from DC and we're like, go figure it out. That should be enough to create a federal team. But as we quickly realized, that is never enough when it comes to Fed. So I was trying to find my way out of there at that point. It was not a fit for me in my career. I would have left sooner, but then COVID hit. So I really just waited things out. But I was pretty much miserable every day. And that's when I realized I always knew I had a really good thing at Authenticate. But that's when I really realized you don't realize what you miss until it's gone. And I was like, what did I do? Like the first day I left and I had to go to San Francisco for three weeks for training. I was like crying in the bathroom. (laughs) I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but I was like, I've made a mistake. Like, what am I going to do from here? And at that point, it was trying to take what I could from that experience. But I had so much flexibility and freedom at Authenticate in terms of like training and what I was like teaching myself and just growing beyond an SDR role that at this company, I was put very much back into just an SDR role of like, I had homeworks to do and like on my communication style and like very micromanaging and stuff like that. And at that point, I realized this is not meshing with me and the way that I've been allowed to work at Authenticate. I will admit I was not doing well there. It was very difficult for me to 
jive with that company, yeah. the offering, etc. It's like your soccer player who likes the ball at their feet. The team plays a very direct style, right? And like yeah. you're like, ah, oh, and you have to play the ball to my feet for me to work here. But you see or you hear about it. I'm no expert, but also cracking the code in the federal space is very difficult, right? So nothing personal with the, the firm or the people who work there, but they have to time that all very well. You've got all these certifications. You've got to get these alliances. It's a very complex matter. You know better than I do. Yeah, we parted like good ways. Yeah. I didn't burn any bridges or anything like that. I think it was very understood the reasons why I was walking away. And I had been planting seeds to potentially come back to Authenticate because like I mentioned, all the people there are my best friends in real life. And I felt very left out. Like I had extreme FOMO. <laughs> they would tell me about things that were going on. It was kind of like I never, I did leave Authenticate, but at the same time, I always knew what was going on. So it was like pulling on my heartstrings too. Like, you know, my friends would talk about things that had happened. I'd be like, guys. (laughs) And at that point, I had been honest with Vanessa that I wasn't happy where I was. And she had kind of made a joke like, well, will you come back and like sell for me? And I was like, yes. And she's like, wait, really? And I was like, yes. So we had kind of left that on the table. We didn't really talk about it more after that. And then I was actually moving from my apartment with my best friend who still works at Authenticate. And the director had called her. And so I was in the background and I was like, oh, hey, just telling him hi. He's like, wait, let me talk to Heather. (laughs) And so I get on the phone and he was like, I need you to come back and I need you to sell law enforcement for me. I was like, all right, done. And that's how it happened. I came back. You make your triumphant return. Yes. (laughs) So I'm always like, we have so many new people coming on. When I started, we were like under 10 on the federal team. Now I think we're like 30, maybe 50 on the federal team and then 100 overall in the company. So the growth has been tremendous. But so we constantly are having new people on and I'm having to introduce myself and I'm like, well, I left, begged them to take me back and now I'm here. So I've always been fascinated with federal sales, just being in Northern Virginia, right outside of DC and then always being a commercial rep and just never have done it. And I've, I, no one spends more money on technology than the federal government, right? And so sometimes I, when I'm talking to people who are in federal sales, I ask them about vice, this, that, and the other. And one thing that I hear from experienced federal folks is whatever you do, don't be the first one in federal. And it sounds like you experienced that a little bit where it was under-resourced and sometimes I guess the pioneer takes the arrows. Yeah, absolutely. A good example of that is Authenticate. They hired very specific strategic people to get this thing off the ground. And I won't go into numbers specifically, but that shows. it's mm-hmm. The growth is just tremendous. On the flip side, obviously the company I left to go to prior, very Silicon Valley, but they didn't have anyone on the ground in DC. They didn't have the strategy really in place. I think it just sounded like a good idea to get into Fed because like you said, there's so much money (laughs) to be in their budgets, et cetera. So it is very difficult to blaze that trail, especially depending on the technology. If it's a technology that the government is not up to speed with and they're not ready to adopt, you're going to have a hell of a time. Sure, someone might be like, oh, this is cool. And then you start getting into those in-depth conversations and they're like, this is way over our head. We're nowhere near being ready for this technology. And then what do you do? You have numbers to hit. You're sitting on your hands. You're trying to educate people. You're trying to go to shows, but you still have a quota. So it's kind of, do you believe in the vision enough? And are you willing to sacrifice enough to reach that point? Maybe for a director, maybe for more of those strategic people. Sure, that can be a good move. But for someone who's just a salesperson, 
in my eyes, it's not worth it, right? It's not worth all of that hassle and the uphill battle, essentially. And that might just be my perspective. But Sounds like a low probability of success in that yeah. role for that person, for what you're trying to achieve in your career at that time. So you made, that's very wise. So you made your return and you came back and what'd you come back as? Law enforcement account executive. So I cover all law enforcement for the United States and then a couple of fedsive law enforcement units. Exciting. So you're an AE, you're carrying a bag, and you have some SDR support too, right? Yes. Actually, my SDR is a Memory Blue alumni as well. John's Cider Worm. There you go. There you go. You got it. It is a little difficult. It's not Bodenhammer. It's like yours is like two last names smashed into one. He's just got more syllables. He's really good. He recently came on. He's already been booking my calendar, which is amazing. And he was in a closing role prior. So I was really fascinated that he came back as an SDR. And But never has he once like had this air of arrogance or a position of like, oh, I was in a closing role prior. Mm-hmm. Very humble, very intelligent guy. And I was super excited when Vanessa was telling me, oh, he's going to be like your SDR. I was like, yes, let's go. I know he's memory blue trained and it shows. Like he already knows what he's doing. And I think going back to being an SDR for so long and then being able to be in a closing role as an AE, you're able to better support your SDRs as well. Because I've worked with some AEs who were never an SDR and it's like they are so clueless and yeah, they make your life so difficult. Can you do my expense report? Literally. They will treat you like an assistant. I've had that before. And I try to be the AE I would have wanted. I guess John would be my first like SDR that I've had on supporting me. But yeah, he's awesome. So I have a couple of different places we could go. We'll talk a little bit about as we kind of get to a close. Tell us a little bit about what it's like now. The muscles you're kind of developing as a closer mm-hmm. that maybe you weren't flexing down on those as much, but now you're kind of developing and bringing them along. Yeah. So the first couple of weeks, Vanessa's like, Heather, why do you not have any calls on the calendar? And I was like, well, I'm qualifying them out before I'm getting them to a call. And she's like, no, 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 no. Just book them. We need them on the calendar. I was like, oh, okay. So that was kind of like the first lesson I I've learned so far was just go ahead and book them because I'm asking them all the questions and then I'm like, oh, I'm like qualifying them out myself. So that was the first lesson I learned. Just get them on the calendar, get them into a call. But now the skills that I'm having to learn are how to run a proper discovery call, how to run a proper demo. Vanessa's awesome. She just put me through Steve Craner's training. High Tech Sales Bootcamp. So I just did that last week on Thursday and Friday. So that was super helpful because I hadn't had any closing training at that point. It was all SDR training. So yeah, at this point, I know how to source the meetings, but how do I really dig deep and get to a point of having them on the hook to close it? And then organization. I have so many people now that are either running like trials for a week or two or just knowing who to follow up with when, what stage they're at in the process. I think that's definitely new. As an SDR, you have to be a certain level of organized, but as an AE, it's a whole other level of organization or things are going to slip. So I have a question. Yesterday, we were preparing for today. We were talking about kind of your superpower and how you were as an SDR and a prospector. And you told us a little bit about how you're what some might call a LinkedIn whisperer. So if for our listeners, they're going to want to know, They all, everyone knows what LinkedIn is, but what do you do? How do you use LinkedIn? How do you leverage it to really surface opportunities? Yeah. So this is something I get asked often when I'm like, LinkedIn is my primary strategy. I think the reason I've been so successful on LinkedIn is when I first started using it, it was for a few 
intelligence agencies where I could not find the phone numbers. And even if I found the phone numbers, there's no way I'm getting through to these people. And if I did, they would hang up in my face. Like, why are you calling me on a cold call? So it forced me into finding another avenue, which ended up being LinkedIn. What I found is that you're able to see my profile. You're able to see my face. You can see my experience. You can read my bio. You know who I am. Whereas if I'm just cold calling you, you have no idea who I am. Even if I tell you my name and I tell you the company I work for, I feel like there's still this level of distrust, right? But on LinkedIn, I think that kind of, yes, there's going to be a level of distrust. And some of the agencies I prospect into, they think I might be a Chinese spy from Missouri. I've had my social media like comb through, through some like certain people and they're like, okay, you're legit. You're a real person. But it allows me to really connect with them on a level to where they feel comfortable. They know I'm not, like I said, a spy or something else. And then I can just have a real conversation with them. It's not so much gimmicky and salesy at that point because I'm real time chatting with that person once they accept my connection. And there's just something about that that has led to a really quick turnover. If I have the right person at the right agency and they're even remotely interested in our product, it's because of how specific our product is to what an investigator or an analyst is doing. It's kind of a no-brainer that they would want to learn more. And then Authenticate has done such a good job of providing resources, free resources like on OSINT, which is open source intelligence, like booklets and articles and stuff. And a lot of times I'll try to provide that value as well to let them know I'm not just trying to sell you. Like we actually, we have a whole encompassing thing because we also offer OSINT Academy at Authenticate. So we provide not only the tool, but then the training. And I really try to come at it from like an educational standpoint. I don't know if that answers your question specifically because I could get into like specifics, but yeah, that's so, what so, I think. So it sounds like you come at it from an educational awareness perspective as opposed to let me try to sell you something, number one. And then number two, talk a little bit about your techniques and tactics on how you use LinkedIn. Do you in-mail them or just very quickly for the list? Yeah, absolutely. So I use Sales Navigator to build lists, but then from there, I literally just send a person a connection. I don't send a note in the connection. I've done A-B testing, notes in the connection. In my experience, they don't really matter. Either people don't read it or they read it and they're like, oh, screw this person. So I just don't send it. They can see from my profile what I'm about and probably why I'm going to reach out. So as soon as that connection request is accepted, I would say it's a time sensitive thing. Every day I'm combing through who's accepted my connection request and then I'm shooting them a message. My first message is literally, hey, so-and-so, it's a pleasure to connect with you. I hope you're having a great day something like that. As soon as they respond, that's when I know they're active on LinkedIn. And then my second question for my territory specifically is, are you using social media for your investigations? Or I'm curious if you're using social media for your investigations. For me, that question, I know 99% of the people I'm talking to are going to say yes. So that's an automatic, just an easy thing to throw out there so I can start the conversation. And then as soon as they say yes, I'm like, hey, well, this is why I'm asking. Just wanted to see if you'd be interested in learning more about it. And my response rate is very high. And that might just be because it's law enforcement in my territory. But my response rate has always been very high with that strategy. That's great. I do have another question too. It's about your focus and commitment to learning the technical side of the of the solution, your SE training. 
What would you say to the salesperson, whether it be an SDR or an AE, who says, who almost brags about how little they know about the technology? I see those folks. And how would you respond to that individual? I think you're shooting yourself in the foot, honestly. Why would you not want to know the most you can know about your product? For me, even I'm trying to reach the point where, and I can run through a demo, but I'm trying to find common enough to where I don't need my SE on the call unless it's really a serious technical person. I want to reach the point where I'm running my own demos. I don't have to depend on anyone else. My schedule is very much mine and my business is like mine. I'm fully owning everything. I would assume there are some people where the technical aspect just really doesn't register in their brain. And that's a different story. But I think you have to make every attempt you can to learn the ins and outs of your product and not just lean on your SE all the time. If you're like Authenticate, our SE is like spread thin already. Most places they are. So why would you not want to be more independent and just like increase your knowledge? To me, that's just laziness, honestly. Love it. That's good, though. That's, that's where you are in your career right now, right? Our final thoughts. Chris and I would be remiss if we didn't ask this. You're in federal sales and cyber, right? Male-dominated. You're a female. Talk about that, because I know we'll get asked by memory of the SDRs that work here. We get asked by people in the industry. My wife will ask me. She's in federal sales. So talk about that. Yeah, obviously starting at Memory Blue, I don't know about now, but then I was the only woman on yeah. my team. So I quickly started to realize that it was a male-dominated mm-hmm. industry between mm-hmm. cyber and sales. And then you add the layer of federal as well. I feel like my mentality that I've had has always kind of carried me through like I'm still going to do the best that I can do. I would say the only things I've really experienced are more subconscious like biases on maybe this guy is picked for just an example. Maybe this guy is picked for a presentation over me, even though we have the same like stats, but because he is a male. And I don't even think the person, maybe the higher up or whatever, is realizing that that's the case. And when I got to Authenticate, we work with a lot of veterans, which is awesome, and still a lot of males. But now we actually have quite a few women on our team. But when I started, there were only two of us in the federal office. Um, I don't know that I ever felt the need to prove myself. Like at a certain point, your numbers speak for themselves. But I think it's when you have your numbers are the same as this guy's numbers, but he's getting asked, like back to the presentation example, maybe he's getting asked to do other stuff. And then you kind of have to question at that point, is it because I'm a woman and he's a man? Or is there another skill that I'm lacking that I need to know of? And those are kind of hard things to uncover. And I think that's a bigger conversation in general. But I would say just focus on skills, focus on your numbers. In sales, like (laughs) your numbers speak for themselves. Honestly, once you reach that point, if your numbers are constantly hitting your target, I think whether you're a male or a female, like that's going to give you some leverage. Thank you. It's a good take. Appreciate that. I think that's it. Lots of wisdom today, Heather. Thank you. Thanks again for having me, guys. No. Well, we're fortunate that you came. I mean, your background, I think, since you've left has been very interesting. And thanks for getting into so much detail with us because it means a lot to the people who are trying to get to where you are. I appreciate it. Very good. Thanks, Heather. For almost two decades, Memory Blue has helped high-tech firms tackle their sales development challenges and carve out bigger market share in their space. Building and executing a carefully designed multi-touch cadence that generates a flow of sales qualified leads is the hallmark of our business. Our flexible solutions and talented professionals produce real results that clients can bank on. 
The end goal of our outreach is scheduling a qualified meeting so you can provide a comprehensive discovery call and bring the sale to a close. This carefully crafted process produces new business opportunities that have converted into over $1 million in closed deals. Hundreds of high-tech companies have trusted Memory Blue to help them grow, penetrate new markets, and test the viability of a new product. If you're interested in learning more about Memory Blue's full sales development services, head to memoryblue.com sales. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. Thank you.